or check them out on Facebook. See you then. Asiento, this locally owned Mission Neighborhood Bar and Restaurant, is excited to be a sponsor for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016. We hope you'll join us any night at the Asiento. Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for happy hour pricing all night long. Just mention that you were an audience member for happy hour pricing March 2nd through 6th at Asiento, 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood vibe that's perfect for an after-work drink or for a night out, featuring a comfortable bar and extensive tapas menu. This is the perfect place for groups that want to get together for drinks and food without the restaurant uh, commitment. Siento. Don't be surprised if you suddenly find yourself at Asiento for the entire night. It feels just like home with bartender service. Asiento. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs>
Good morning, it's Labor and Love. Welcome, mutineers, to your Saturday morning labor connection. Labor opinion, commentary, news, history, and music of social significance. Okay, to James there with uh, you got to serve somebody, um, and what it's about is your life. Okay, your life uh, is in total is going to serve somebody. It'll it'll either serve uh, capital or labor or. Uh, It'll serve the boss, or it'll serve your comrades. It'll serve the people who sit and make money, and the people who work and don't make any. Those seem to be the the classes that we're down to. If you gotta work to survive, you're working class. Maybe, you know, you're making a lot of money, like it says here, but you're still going to have to serve somebody. Here's Miss Joni Mitchell. Rose and flows of angels. 
Thank you.
Tony Mitchell, and uh, as a reminder, I uh, want to remind you that this is the Labor and Love Show, and this is the, our fourth in a series of all women shows honoring working women all over the world and in all times and places. So today it'll be all women artists. Uh, and here's one right now. Not ready to make nice. I'm not sure could. They say time heals everything, but I'm still waiting. I'm through with doubt. There's nothing left for me. Yeah. 
Natalie Maines, and she's not ready to make nice. Uh, of course, the um, situation that she describes in, in the uh, song, not ready to make nice, was brought about because uh, right after the invasion of Iraq by American forces, Natalie Maines and the uh, other Dixie Chicks were were on tour in England, and Natalie Maines said how glad they were to be there, but she said that the way the government, the president is acting and the things he's done lately, we're ashamed to say that he's from Texas. And this created a storm, of course. Um, the country and Western audience tends to be conservative, I guess, although I have my doubts. Natalie Means herself was born in Lubbock, Texas. And grew up there. Um, Maine had described growing up in conservative Texas saying, I always rebelled against that. My parents sent me and my sister to public minority schools. So I always felt like a hippie and a rebel. Uh, as a teenager, I always loved not thinking the way I knew that the majority of people thought. I always stood up for minorities. I've always stood up for homosexuals. I just always had these really strong convictions about doing so. She went to music school but dropped out before the completion of her studies. Uh, Maines attended several colleges and uh, was an indifferent student. And uh, in 1995, at the age of 21, Maines joined the all-female country music band, the Dixie Chicks, um, two, two young women who are, uh, one is a fiddler, I believe, and I'm sure, I can't. Anyway, Maines plays the guitar. That was her version of Not Ready to Make Nice. And um, this is our version of Labor and Love on a Saturday morning. I'm the bee welcoming you to your weekly labor connection, labor news, history, and commentary by, for, and about working people. And as we say, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Think about it. If you don't have some representation at the table, the negotiating table that is, you're probably on the menu. They're probably talking about your life, your work life, which affects your whole life, 
without consulting you. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. I want to listen now to our weekly labor report. This is Win Workers Independent News. What's going on around the nation in the labor movement? Workers Independent News, we can review. I'm Doug Cunningham. An April Fool's Day unfair labor practice strike is on after the Chicago Teachers Union House of Delegates voted overwhelmingly this week to authorize the strike and a day of action throughout Chicago. CTU President Karen Lewis told reporters that teachers are unified and in solidarity with Chicago communities as the union battles for full funding of public education in Chicago. So on April 1st, we will not be working. We will not be submissive. We will stand up. <laughs> This house was ready and united. Lewis says the crisis in Chicago public schools is as deep as any of the teachers have seen in a generation. CTU says public education needs to be fully funded and not shortchanged to serve the rich and powerful. Fight for 15 fast food workers in Chicago say they're joining the teachers' April 1st day of action in solidarity with the teachers' union demand for full funding. Trump Hotel Las Vegas workers want America to know that boss Trump is refusing to honor their union election and has unfair labor practice charges pending against that hotel. The culinary workers, local 226 workers, say the reality show boss with the signature You're Fired line isn't following labor law as he campaigns for president. Culinary Workers Communications Director Bethany Kahn told WBAI's Building Bridges program that an NLRB hearing is set for April 12th on some of the Trump Hotel Las Vegas labor law violations. We would like him to sit down and negotiate a contract with his employee. Mr. Trump owns a hotel in Toronto, Trump Toronto. Those workers voted for the election and they won a union. And a month later, Mr. Trump's company made a deal with that. So we are wondering why it's okay to have a, a, an agreement and a deal in Toronto, Canada, but not here in the United States of America. American workers are losing billions of dollars a year in wages they're legally entitled to through various forms of wage theft, not paying legally required overtime, forcing workers to work off the clock, misclassifying workers and stealing tips are just a few of the ways wages are stolen. Ronald Sweat is a school bus driver in suburban Chicago working for Student Transportation of America. With the help of Teamsters Local 777 and Arise Chicago, the drivers have filed a lawsuit seeking $500,000 in allegedly stolen wages. Sweat says the company stole the driver's wages in several ways. Some people, they work 40 hours and more and they weren't getting paid a time and a half for just like a straight time and there's a number of things like in the winter time you come in early to clean the snow off your buses and you're not getting paid for it fueling the buses workers independent news puts workers and their unions on the national radio news airwaves every day to help keep labor's voice on the air go to laborradio.org workers independent news provided by diversified media enterprises i'm doug cunningham that was workers' independent news, as they said. And it looks like in Chicago, something very important is happening. The struggle for <clears throat> public schools <clears throat> is turning into more of a general struggle. 
as big unions join the uh, Chicago teachers when they go out. April 1st is that day. Let's keep an eye on that. Um, in many ways, Chicago is kind of a bellwether of what's going to happen you know, in other places. All right, let's listen to Radio Labor now. This is the World News Report. All over the world, all over the nation, people are standing up to make their lives better. Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 25th, 2016. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, worldwide demonstrations against the transportation company Uber escalate. On World Water Day, unions called for an end to the privatizing of municipal water supplies. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. Licensed taxi drivers around the world have been demonstrating against the transportation multinational Uber. There have been demonstrations in Paris, London, Philadelphia, Toronto, and many other cities. The latest protests against the company came on Tuesday, March 22nd, in Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia. Thousands of taxi and public transport workers brought traffic to a halt on major streets throughout the city for hours. At times, the protests turned violent as the licensed drivers forced passengers out of cars that had been called using Uber. The anti-Uber protests are fueled by the company's disregard for regulations that have been implemented over many years to protect passengers and provide living wages for the licensed drivers. Now, Uber drivers themselves are complaining about low wages. In the United States, some are trying to form unions and bargain collectively with Uber. Radio Labor's senior correspondent, Seamarie Ainsborough, has a report. The giant transportation company Uber is facing a determined unionization drive in one of the largest cities in the United States. Last year, the municipality of Seattle in the state of Washington passed a bylaw saying that drivers who use the Uber smartphone app to find people who want rides can form a union. Now, with the help of one of the most powerful unions in the country, the Teamsters, the drivers have started their campaign for a union. Seattle City Councilor Michael Bryan co-wrote the Seattle bylaw. We have a company now that's valued at more than 60 billion U.S. dollars and their drivers are making less than $3 an hour. That's, um, there's nothing innovative about that. These drivers are told, um, often with no notice, like, hey, this weekend there's a 25% sale because of the football game and so guess what? You just took a pay cut. Uh, you know, even a company like Walmart, who doesn't have very good labor practices, when they put their TVs on sale, they don't cut their workers' wages to pay for it. That comes out of corporate profits. Don Creary is on the leadership council of the APA-based Drivers Association in Seattle. He is working towards unionizing the Uber workers. We have no say. I mean, they, they just ignore. I mean, we can email the companies about issues that we have, and they just get ignored. I mean, I can't think of any issue drivers have brought up in the time I've been driving that's been addressed. One of the most powerful business lobbies in the United States, the Chamber of Commerce, 
has started a legal case saying that Seattle has no right to regulate Uber. Here's what Teamster representative Dawn Gerhardt says about that. I think what they're going to try to do is it's part of their larger effort to preempt, which is to say that local governments, municipalities shouldn't be able to make regulations. Ms. Gerhardt says that the struggle of the Uber drivers in Seattle is significant because services obtained via smartphone apps will play a greater role in economies all over the world. I think it's significant because I think more and more of the work that we do uh, in America and around the world is going to be dispatched through apps, whether that's healthcare, uh, home cleaning businesses, other types of delivery services. That work is going to start happening instead of on the factory floor or in a normal office setting. That's going to start happening uh, over the smartphone and over applications. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. Tuesday, March 22nd, was World Water Day, a day established by the United Nations to remind people of the importance of safe, affordable water. The labor movement has been at the forefront of the campaign for safe, affordable water. For example, the European Public Service Union, EPSU, has been working with many NGOs and citizen groups. 1.8 million people have signed a petition calling on the European Union to declare access to water a human right. But after three years of campaigning, the EU is still refusing to move on the question. Another organization fighting for safe, affordable water is Public Services International. The PSI represents public service unions at the world level. It has been campaigning against the privatizing of municipal water supplies. I talked to David Boys, the PSI's deputy general secretary. I asked him what is wrong with allowing the private sector to operate municipal water systems. Everything. Everything is wrong with privatizing the management of of water and sanitation systems. Look, the first the first reality is we've got to be clear that market actors and market dynamics, which means the private for profit, must maximize profits, and therefore any social or environmental issues that are a threat to profits have to be eliminated. So, from the trade union perspective, what we've seen is one of the main costs in delivering water and sanitation services is the labor cost. So what happens is, well, good, decent jobs which pay living wages and and might even have a pension, they're outsourced. They're made precarious. So, I mean, that is at the narrowest level of what's the problem with privatizing water. But because you don't have the choice of whether you're going to drink water or use water in your household today, And because you typically only have one network system, once the private sector gets a hold of that monopoly, then the the options for abusing a monopoly position are huge, whether it's raising the tariffs, whether it's promising to make investments and then not making them, whether it's deciding that the poor settlements or the poor neighborhoods don't deserve good water. There's a whole range of considerations that come in when your number one priority is not services to the citizens, profit is. And when Wall Street and the rest of the financial machinery puts pressure on you for those profits day in, day out, then you've got problems. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Store correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,200 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. 
Our top stories section included links to news about the historic gains for women in the new Iraqi labor legislation, the global struggle to organize being waged by Uber workers, and of course, the reaction of unions around the world to the bombings in Brussels. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. 200 strikers were arrested in one go in the long-running auto worker strike in India, while daily contract road workers started an open-ended strike in that country in an effort to regularize their employment. Israeli airport workers were pressing their demands with a slowdown and work-to-rule campaign. Petrol supplies were in jeopardy across Scotland as a result of a wage dispute. Water supply workers in Barbados downed tools last week in an all-out strike over working conditions. Hotel workers on Antigua wildcatted over unpaid severance. There was a retail workers' lockout in Canada, while in Germany, Amazon workers were on strike over their wages. Healthcare workers employed by Airmark in England walked in a wage dispute and dockers in Cyprus and Brazil and the Solomon Islands were all engaged in various kinds of disputes. Insurance workers in Nigeria walked off the job in a protest over working conditions, while junior doctors in Zimbabwe started a wage dispute. Public transport workers in the UK stopped work for a day to press their bargaining demands. American nurses ended a week-long strike over patient quality of care issues. And in Nigeria, healthcare workers were off the job in an effort to force their employer to implement a long-standing memorandum of agreement. Our top working women stories included coverage of the allegations by Canadian flight attendants of sexual assault by co-workers, the anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire in the USA, and the organizing efforts of women brick kiln workers in Pakistan. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Helping Derek with his report this week was Vogart the Cat, who, by the way, is not unionized. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Here, here, it's all about global solidarity. Promised an all-women show today. Here we go with Las Cafeteras. Couple of it, whose members are women. Las cafeteras, la bamba rebelde. Bombay. 
soy chicana, she says. I'm a chicana. Si vengo del valle, yo si vengo. 
were stranded, snowbound, hey-ho, well, I don't know. Sleeping on the floor like the best of friends, living on tea and odds and ends. Ah, were we lucky, now it all depends. Tamarise, Cordell and me and Norman Brown, sitting around, away from town, and me, I'm listening, hey, oh, big mountain guys, watch the sunrise in your eyes, taking care of the eldest pride, hey, hey, Mother Earth, hey, hey, Father Sky, and me, I have watched it grow, corporate greed and a lust for gold, and coal, Strip them up, get them with a gun. She was a friend of mine, and in May, in the snows of the winter time, we were running across the fields of Indian land, ducking bullets from the guns of a Woman hunted in the land. What did you say about uranium? She come to see me one day. I was living in a little place in LA. She was running from the field of the jailer's touch, singing. Uh, Buffy St. Marie <clears throat> called the Uranium War and uh, the discovery of uranium on tribal lands in the southwest led to uh, uranium industry and uh, Indian miners were subjected to high levels of radioactivity and subsequently uh, Sued. Their suits were pretty much ignored. 
as Buffy St. Marie. Before that, we had Las Cafeteras with La Bamba Rebelde, the rebels La Bamba, talking about the racist in Arizona and other such things. Soy Chicana, she said. This is Lily Tomlin, and Lily is uh, maintaining the office during a strike. Tomlin at her switchboard. I, ca I cannot talk to the press now. I, I said I cannot talk to you now. Yes, the phone company is on strike. Everyone except the executives and me. I'll have that story for you when it's over. Well, in the meantime, just reprint the stories from our last strike and change the dates. <laughs> A gracious good afternoon, directory assistance, Miss Tomlin on the wire. The business office, that number for the business office is listed in your directory. You don't have a directory. Very well, I will switch you, and the business office will supply you with one. Business office, Miss Tomlin speaking. A new directory? Certainly. They are issued free of charge to our subscribers. Simply flag down any repair truck, and they'll throw one to you. You need installation and repair service? Installation and repair service will be listed in your new directory. Can it wait till then? Very well, I will switch you. Just a moment. <laughs> Installation and repair service, Miss Tomlin speaking. Oh, just a moment, please. At the tone, the time will be 3.23 and 30 seconds. Ding dong. <laughs> Installation and repair again. Oh, by the way, your three minutes are up. Please deposit five cents for the next three minutes. Thank you. That box sounds pretty full. I'll have to get down there on my dinner break and empty it out. <laughs> now then, how may I help you in the midst of the worst strike in our history? A phone installed, hold on and I'll check. Winds are from the northwest at 20 knots per hour, whatever the hell that means. Yes, sir, I can give you a black wall model and a blue princess and install them myself tonight after work. Oops, just a second. President's office. No, he is not. No, he is not. In the glorious tradition of telephone company management, the president himself is out in a repair truck guaranteeing service to the community. Very well, I'll switch you to customer relations. Hold on, please. Are you still there, Black Wall Phone Blue Princess? I'll be right back. Customer relations, Miss Tomlin at the duty desk. You've just been struck in the head by a directory? I'll bet you were standing by the side of the road waving your arms, weren't you? Well, how bad is it? Doesn't sound attractive. You better call an ambulance. Directory assistance will give you that number. Are you still holding Blue Princess? Five cents more, I'll be right back. Directory assistance, Miss Tomlin in the saddle. General Hospital? Certainly, but that number is listed in your new directory, the one that just struck you in the head. Long distance, Miss Tomlin, EC. Madrid? Now that certainly is a long distance. <laughs> just love to do that. Are you still there, Blue Princess? Give me your name and address. Uh-huh. Right, thank you. I'll be out first thing this evening and put those phones in. <laughs> President's office. Oh, sir, it's you. No, no messages. Oh, but listen, Chief, you've got to be careful where you aim those directories. <laughs> you winged a woman over here on the south side pretty badly today. No. No, I, I don't think anyone knows that it was you. Well, I'll see you when you check in. Times. Give me the city desk. <laughs> city desk. 
this is Ernestine Tomlin at the telephone company. You know, I think I've got that big story you've been waiting for. I'll be here all afternoon. Be sure you bring a photographer. <laughs> Gracious good afternoon, dial a prayer, Miss Tomlin in the pulpit. <laughs> Lily Tomlin holding down the fort at the phone company during a strike. And um, today on the show, we're going to memorialize two uh, days really important in the history of working people and uh, history of working women. March 24th, 1916. The, uh, the Easter Uprising took place in Dublin, in Ireland. It was called the, uh, it was called the Easter Uprising, also the Post Office Uprising. An armed insurrection in Ireland during Easter week, 1916. Uh, the Rising was launched by Irish Republicans to end British rule in Ireland and establish an independent Irish Republic. Uh, it was quickly put down by the British government which uh, ruled in uh, Ireland at the time. And uh, the martyrs, seven, seven men uh, led the, up seven people led the uprising. They took over the post office in Dublin. Uh, they evidently, one criticism that's been leveled at the, uh, the whole action is that they hadn't organized among the the uh, surrounding population. Uh, they were kind of like intellectuals, um, revolutionaries who didn't really have much contact with the uh, working community around them. Still, the uprising is celebrated And uh, celebrated in a poem by William Butler Yeats, an Irish poet, who was sort of, I guess you'd say he was uh, on the fence. Uh, it came to uh, political action. And here's how the poem goes. Get up a little background music here. I've met them at close of day, coming with vivid faces. 
from counter or desk among gray 18th century houses. I have passed with a nod of the head or polite meaningless words or have lingered a while and said polite meaningless words and thought before I had done of a mocking tale or a jibe to please a companion around the fire at the club, being certain that they and I but live where motley is worn, all changed, changed utterly, a terrible beauty is born. So Yeats has seen these revolutionary people and he's kind of laughing at them because they're so serious and they're so humorless. That woman's days were spent in ignorant goodwill, her nights in argument until her voice grew shrill. What voice more sweet than hers than when young and beautiful she rode to Harriers? This man had kept a school and rode on our winged horse. This other, his helper and friend, was coming into the force. So sensitive, he might have won fame in the end, so sensitive his nature seemed, so daring and sweet as thought. This other man, I had dreamed a drunken, vainglorious lout. He had done most bitter wrong to some who are near to my heart. Yet I number him in the song. He too has resigned his part in the casual comedy. He too has been changed in his turn, transformed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. So Yeats is reflecting on the people who were in this group, one of them a woman and a couple of guys who were poets. Uh, our winged horse is the unicorn, the uh, Pegasus, which was the name of their magazine. Even a guy that he hates because this guy beat him out for a woman, a woman named Maud Gunn, who Yeats was in love with. This guy that she married was a drunk. Uh, he was abusive to Maud Gunn. Now he's reflecting on what such, such concentration on a cause does to people. Hearts with one purpose alone through summer and winter seem enchanted to a stone to trouble the living stream. A horse that comes from the road, the rider, the birds that range from cloud to tumbling cloud, minute by minute they change. A shadow of cloud on the stream changes minute by minute. A horse hoof slides on the brim and a horse plashes within it. And long-legged moor hens dive and hens to moorcocks call. Minute by minute they live. The stones in the midst of it all. So Yeats is equating change with life. And these people are so fixated on their, and so uh, monomaniacal, single-minded on their goal of Irish independence that they become stones. 
Too long a sacrifice can make a stone of the heart. Oh, when may it suffice? That is heaven's part, our part to murmur name upon name as a mother names her child. When sleep at last has come on limbs that had run wild. Ah, what is it but nightfall? No, no, not night, but death. Was it needless death after all? For England may keep the faith with all that is done and said. We know their dream, enough to know they dreamed and are dead. And what if excess of love bewildered them till they died? I write it out in a verse, McDonough and McBride and Conley and Pierce, now and in time to be wherever green is worn, are changed, changed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. So Yeats is paying his poets honor to these men who stepped out, men and women who stepped out of the casual comedy, the uh, life of polite, meaningless words. And the 18th cent, the gray 18th century houses. They've stepped out of that and into a different mode by uprising against the British crown. And Yeats says, even though their, their sacrifice was in the end fruitless, they did it. They stepped up, they were counted, they stood up for Irish independence. Easter 1916 by William Butler Yeats. Supposed to do some PSAs right now, let's see. Some PSAs earlier. This is a Mutiny Radio. It's around 11 o'clock on Sunday. Pardon me, Saturday, March the 26th. And uh, this is the Labor and Love Show. Hoping that you had a good week and good work. And reminding you, you're only alone when you don't sit. When you <clears throat> pardon me. You're only alone when you don't stand up. And if you don't stand up for something, you'll be counted for sitting, for standing up, for sitting down. They'll say that you voted against those who stood up. So we're celebrating that anniversary, the Easter 1916 rebellion which eventually paved the way for the partial independence that Ireland has. Part of it is independent, part of it is a small part, and the north is still part of England. 
Here's Sinead O'Connor talking about a famine. We've all heard of the famine that uh, drove so many Irish people out of Ireland uh, and to places like the United States. It was a contrived famine. It was like the famine uh, that Stalin organized in the Ukraine when farmers resisted collectivation efforts. Stalin just sent his people to take all the food out of the, out of the Ukraine, and there was mass starving. Well, that's what happened in Ireland in the 1840s and 50s. You hear about the potato famine. There was plenty of food growing in Ireland to feed its people. The English and English-friendly landlords who ruled the country, who had been given the country by the crown, simply took the food and shipped it out of Ireland to sell it for, to profit themselves. So I'm going to let Sinead tell you. Okay, I want to talk about Ireland. Specifically, I want to talk about the famine, about the fact that there never really was one. There was no famine. The Irish people were only allowed to eat potatoes. All of the other food, meat, fish, vegetables were shipped out of the country under armed guard to England while the Irish people starved. And then, in the middle of all this, they gave us money not to teach our children Irish. And so we lost our history. And this is what I think is still hurting me. You see, we're like a child that's being battered, has to drive itself out of its head because it's frightened, still feels all the painful feelings. But they lose contact with the memory. And this leads to massive self-destruction, alcoholism, drug addiction, all desperate attempts at running. And in its worst form, becomes actual killing. And if there ever is going to be healing, there has to be remembering and then grieving so that there then can be forgiving. There has to be knowledge and understanding. All the lonely people says you mustn't kill more than 10% of a nation because to do so causes permanent psychological damage. It's not permanent, but they didn't know that. Anyway, during the supposed famine, we lost a lot more than 10% of our nation through deaths on land or on ships of emigration. But what finally broke us was not starvation, but its use in the controlling of our education. Schools go on about Black 47, on and on about the terrible famine. But what they don't say is in truth, there really never was one. Excuse me. lonely people. Sorry, excuse me. Where do they all come from? Take a look, shall we? The highest statistics of child abuse in the EEC, and we say we're a Christian country, but we've lost contact with our history. See, we used to worship God as a mother. We're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Look at all our old men in the pubs. Look at all our young people on drugs. We used to worship God as a mother. 
Now look at what we're doing to each other. We've even made killers of ourselves, the most childlike trusting people in the universe. And this is what's wrong with us. Our history books, the parent figures lied to us. I see the Irish as a race like a child that got itself bashed in the face. And if there ever is gonna be healing, there has to be remembering and then grieving so that there then can be forgiving. There has to be knowledge and understanding.
All right, we had uh, Sinead O'Connor's story song, Famine, asserting that the famine, there was no real famine in Ireland. There was enough food to feed people, but the food was shipped out and sold as a commodity, turned into a commodity and sold when people starved and... uh, had to leave the country because there was no way to stay alive. And we we followed that up. I followed that up with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. This was an event in 1911, and we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, where 146 young women mostly died because they were working in a shirtwaist factory. And the doors to get out were locked. Um, The owners either didn't want unions coming to try to organize their girls, as they called them, or they didn't want their girls to be taking extra breaks and going outside and and, uh, wasting time. Now, two years before this, there had been a gigantic campaign the campaign of the 20,000. 20,000 demonstrators and uh, strikers against these sh- these sweat... I guess you'd call them, yeah, sweatshops, organized and pushed for better safety regulations than most of the factories signed on. But Triangle Shirtwaist owners did not. And the building caught fire, and there was no way for the young women to get down, so they jumped. They jumped to their deaths. A few were caught and saved by blankets or whatever, but 146 people died in the Triangle Shirtwaist fire. The two owners were never charged with uh, negligence. In fact, uh, it's amazing how people's consciences (laughs) stretch and bend. Uh, One commentator pointed out that one of the owners had people in his family working in the factory and how some of them were lost. So we should should feel uh, sympathy for that owner. Sorry, uh, I can't really feel sympathy for someone who let people die so that uh, he could keep making profits. So here's another shirtwaist fire song. This one is by the History, History Tunes. Last one was the Heretics. Okay, here we go, the Triangle Shirtwaist fire song.
just a sunny day in New York City. I remember oh so clear how the room team was sweat and steam. 1911 was the year Mama ran the stitch machine. We had come here to America just ten shelf months before. Sweatshops filled with steam We spent every minute of our days Broken backs and little pain It's still a dream We dream It's still a dream We dream But Mama and I Were trying hard To slowly hurt We went from 69 Had callous hands From cuts and burns Daydreaming helped me through the endless hours as they spool. Oh, please, God, someday let me spend my days at school. Then a spot called my Dream was sitting, sweatshops filled with steam. We spent every minute of our days with broken backs and little pain. It's still a dream. We dream. It's still a dream. We dream. Three hundred women worked every day upon. Had them locked with very heavy unlinked chains, and those that hit them first were crushed by those who behind them came. We heard the fire engines, and to the open windows we rushed, but alas, their tallest ladders simply were not tall. Hoses beneath us pumping one by one around me. Young women started jumping across the crowded room. I saw Mama and my sister May take each other by the hand and simply fall away. Sweatshops fill the steam We spend every minute of our days With broken 
Okay, song the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Uh, an indication that uh, things have always been the same. Every day, 350 workers die in the United States as a result of job related conditions. Either happens on the job because you're not given safe enough, your job's not safe, or conditions that you got, say, black lung from mining. And every day around the world, 2,500 workers will die today from job-related causes. As always, this show is dedicated to them. Let's read a little bit more. Um, One writer who watched this whole debacle remembers hearing the women's bodies hitting the ground. Do, do. As textile leader and overall amazing woman Clara Lemlich said, if Triangle had been a union shop, there would not have been any locked doors and the girls would have been on the street almost an hour before the fire started. One reporter noted, I remember the great strike of last year. He's talking about the uprising of 20,000, which in 2010, I believe, on April 5th, 350,000 New Yorkers came out to the ILWU organized funeral of seven of the unidentified workers. New Yorkers quickly remembered that Blanc and Harris had been the most anti-union owners in 1909. Blanc and Harris had insured the heck out of the building and received nearly $200,000 from 41 different insurance companies. So if you have an idea your factory's going to burn down, the smart thing to do uh, 
is not to fix up the factory. That costs you money. For a lot less, you can insure the building and collect money if it happens to burn down. They were charged with manslaughter about a month later. They hired one of the nation's top trial lawyers and delayed the, de the trial until December when jury selection began. But when that happened, 300 women m met them at the door. After the trial, the jury took only 105 minutes to discover, to deliver its verdict of not guilty, since it could not determine with certainty whether Blanc and Harris knew the door was locked. In 1913, Blanc was in fact charged with locking the door to one of his new factories and fined the minimum of $20. The following year, the two factory owners were fined for sewing fake consumer labels into their clothing, saying the factory met minimum working standards. In 1914, Blunk and Harris settled its civil suits against them, paying $75 for each life lost. This only made people more angry because Blanc and Harris had profited from the fire. Quite literally, they had so much insurance that they cleared $65,000 in profit off their factory, burning and workers dying. In 1912, the National Association of Manufacturers collaborated with the Thomas Edison Company to produce The Crime of Carelessness. This film tried to shift blame for Triangle away from the factory owners and toward union carelessness, worker carelessness. In other words, yeah, you, you burned to death, but it's your fault. This was a part of the National Association of Manufacturers' strategy to keep the factories union-free and a useful film replacing today's anti-union madness in historical concept, context. This is a truly disgusting film. And you can find the film on the Lawyers, Guns, and Money entry for this day in labor history, March 25th, 1911. Okay, we had another day in labor history on March 15th, 1940. The film The Grapes of Wrath was released from the novel by John Steinbeck, uh, directed by Henry, by John Ford and starring Henry Fonda in the role of Tom Joad. This movie depicted the lives of an Oki family, family of farmers from the Midwest who had lost their farms either to the historic Dust Bowl storms, which just swept all the uh, parched soil into the air and blew huge clouds of dust across the country. 
or they lost their farms to unscrupulous or scrupulous bankers. After all, the law was with the bankers, as it is in this nation. So they came west. They came to a place that they had heard, where they heard there was a lot of work and that there were a lot of beautiful oranges and it was a green place of green valleys and lovely mountains and endless acres of farmland to California. So this film is about that and of course uh, it's a groundbreaking film because it humanizes a population that the country maybe didn't want to talk about as being people. That was the, uh, the white farmers who came west and they were called Okies and derisively by native Californians and other people. Okies translated into low class, dirty, slovenly, lazy, stupid. This film humanized them. Should be pointed out though that the film says nothing or the novel says nothing about the plight of non-white farm workers. Uh, neither Steinbeck nor John Ford were much interested in them. To them, the story was that white people were being forced into this life. Uh, Steinbeck even writes in one of his nonfiction pieces about farm workers, for which he first gained notoriety, articles in uh, local papers. Will white workers put up with this? I mean, implication is that it's good enough for Mexican workers or black workers or Hindu workers or other workers who come here from other nations. But will white workers put up with this? And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of bases that the film misses. Again, the film is not around about farm workers. It's about white workers who are homeless and who... Uh, are looking for a place where they can settle. This day in labor history. Okay. So let's listen to some more working women's music. Here's Peggy Seeger with the Nine Month Blues, and we'll follow that up with Sinead and a local singer, Pat Wynn, the organizer of the, the uh, labor chorus at City College of... San Francisco, the nine-month blues, unless woman has reproductive freedom, she does not have freedom. Peggy Seeger. If you can't be careful, try to be good. Well, we cared and we cared as much as we could. We always agreed, me and my man, we said someday we'll try the family plan. The first thing we tried was nothing at all It was an amateur ride and everything's here fall We charted my tides, followed my moon But then someday, came a little too soon I got the nine month of blues Too much to gain or too much to lose But he was kinda happy when he heard my news I got the nine month of blues There was him and me and the baby made three But we made up our minds to stay there Little bit of things made of rubber and such And cause we were friends we decided to go Dutch When 
we said I do. It was a solemn oath, so we did and we did and it pleased us both. We still can't figure out what went wrong, but that's the first line of the nine-month song. I got the nine months blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. I get out the dress and the sensible shoes. I got the nine-month blues. I said this time around I'm gonna cast my stone. I'm gonna have a chance to call my life my own About the SPC, the FDA They said to keep that child, don't fling it away The doctor said he had the right to refuse The law says if you want to beat the noose You gotta be rich or near to your grave So away I went again on my nine-month rave I got the nine-month blues Too much to gain, too much to lose And that time around I gotta make twos I got the nine
She's camping outside Bush's Texas ranch. The sun beats down, she sits in constant vigilance. A human face on that Iraqi death toll. And she's waiting, and she's waiting, and she's waiting for the president to show remorse, show remorse for those who Win, uh, a leader of the uh, labor chorus at City College of San Francisco, singing about Cindy Sheehan. If you remember, Sheehan lost a son, Casey, in the uh, invasion of Iraq, <clears throat> Afghanistan. And she went to camp outside of uh, President George Bush's ranch in Texas to bring attention to her plight, but also because she really wanted to talk to the president one-on-one -on -one about what her son had died for. So uh, later on, she ran for uh, Congress against the far more hawkish um, Speaker of the House at that time. Um, so, Cindy Sheehan. Okay, here's uh, another anniversary we celebrate this week on Labor and Love. This is some of the love. Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of San Salvador, the, the capital of El Salvador, 
was appointed because he was a quiet guy, sort of an outcast, kind of a flake. Everybody thought of him as kind of this serious, curmudgeonly guy. Once he he got to uh, be the archbishop, he came out against the American-funded military campaign against the people of El Salvador, the working people, the Indians and the campesinos. And uh, this is his last his last sermon. Uh, he was shot the next day. This is from the movie uh, Romero. And it's uh, Raul Julia saying the uh, sermon, which has been translated into English. In a special way to the men in the army. Brothers, each one of you is one of us. We are the same people. The farmers and peasants that you kill are your own brothers and sisters. When you hear the words of a man telling you to kill, think instead in the words of God. Thou shalt not kill. No soldier is obliged to obey an order contrary to the law of God. In his name and in the name of our tormented people who have suffered so much and whose laments cry out to heaven, I implore you I beg you, I order you, stop the repression! of those little this little film depicts the uh, killers of Oscar Romero um, Roberto Dobison the one of the right, leaders of the right wing death squads from a very rich Salvadorian family reputedly the person who pulled the trigger on the bullet that killed Oscar Romero. Okay, well, we're about labor and love doubt. It's about, you know, 11.47. This is the B. Hoping that you uh, have a good week and good work. Let your work build the earth, build the future. Remember everything you do. Your total life will be in service of capital or of labor. And you decide which one it'll be. Call out to my soulmate, Sylvia Ramirez. 
Labor and Love Show reminding you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, too, that if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Internacional by Kerry Miraji. Stay tuned for Flat Black Plastic with the good Scott Walker. Coming right up at, at noon. Jonathan, I know you love tinctures. I do? Yeah. Most people don't even know what those are. Yeah, most of them don't. we need to give uh, everybody a little example of what we know. Well, they should go to Trialta.com to see the six different kinds of cannabinoids that are all distilled for their medicinal needs. Yes, and they're so wonderful. Have you heard about the CBN? Did you even know this existed? Is that like waffles? No, CBN is the cannabinoid in the plant that makes you fall asleep. Oh Weed to, to make you sleep. Like, yeah. Does that put cancer to sleep? It puts cancer to sleep. It doesn't even get you high. It just puts you to sleep. There's also the THCA. 
pain relief. Don't need any more opioids. Does that come from the vegetation state? It, it certainly does. You clearly know your botanicals. You know your Alta California botanicals. Yes, and there's also a CB, high CBD and a mixture of both high THC and CBD. That's right. Helps with the shaky shakies. If you have anxiety, go with the CBD. If you like to get high, go with the THC. Go with it all. Go to your local dispensary and ask for it by name. Alta California Botanicals. Or go to tryalta.com. If you give them your medical prescription, you can get two weeks for free. Alta! Absolutely. Tryalta.com. Hey, you psychedelic junkies. Need something to do Tuesday, March 1st? Well, get your ass on out to the Golden Bull in Oakland at 8 p.m. for a stellar lineup of psychedelic rock brought to you by Subliminal SF. Featuring War Cloud, Cloud Catcher of Denver, and Skunk. Then, Thursday, March 31st, check out Seattle band UN, Hissing, and Cardinal Worm. Also, another band to be announced. Same place, same time. $8. Funeral Doom is the genre. For complete listings and more information, visit subliminalsf.com or check them out on Facebook. See you there. What's up, San Francisco? The SF Eagle Bar is proud to sponsor the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. The SF Eagle is about to celebrate its third year anniversary since reopening under new ownership and new management. We are historically a gay leather bar, and now we cater to the queer LGBT community. As well as our allies by hosting fundraisers for local nonprofits and events to celebrate love and equality. I ain't got no dick, but I love the Eagle. Yeah, you Woo, do. Yes. Located at 398 12th Street at Harrison Street and open every single goddamn day. So check www.sf-eagle.com yeah. for calendar of events. And we will see you 3316. By the way, opening day of our special Midnight Comedy Showcase for the Mutiny Comedy Festival. i see you guys there. Hell yeah. Hey. Industrial Metal's taking over! Golden Bull in Oakland, April 5th, with the Death Kings of LA, Genocide Skin, Ort Cloud, and other bands to be announced. 8 p.m., $8, all industrial metal. They come again on April 15th to see some noise rock. The other band on Earth will be there. 
Jerkagram of LA will be there. And Love Moon. Same place, different time. 9 p.m., 7 bucks. Brought to you by Subliminal SF. For complete listings and more information, visit subliminalsf.com or check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash subliminalsf. is a proud sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. We appreciate how comedians are, well, they're poor, and they need a delicious and inexpensive alternative to craft beer. Now, that's why every Pabst Blue Ribbon is affordable and accessible to even the dirtiest of dickbag comedians, allowing them to be in public at a bar interacting with people they probably shouldn't, like women. So go buy your favorite comedian a PBR. They need the encouragement that someone somewhere cares what they have to say. Paps Blue Ribbon, keeping comedians funny with classically delicious flavor since 1844. Which is crazy because it was America's best in 1893. Let the brainwash the mighty brainwash. Oh, yes, we got them jokes. We Howdy, folks. You're tuned in to MutinyRadio.fm. This is Flat Black Plastic. I'm trying to experiment. I found a, a bag of 45s on the corner, so I'm going to play those. All little records to start out. <laughs> <laughs> 